The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this morning comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good to see all of you. If we haven't met before, my name's Garrison. I'm one of the pastors here. Merry Christmas. If this is your first time with us, thanks for coming out and hanging out with us uh, this morning. I hope you've all got your Christmas shopping done. Um, I wanted to start with uh, kind of an important question for us all, Um, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Just audience participation. Raise a hand if you've had your Christmas decorations up since December 1st or before. Some of you are like, I don't have them up at all. That's fine. No shame. All right, keep, keep them up. Keep them up if you've had them up since Thanksgiving. All right. Keep them up if you've had them up since the first week in November. I'm proud of us. We're not weird. That's great. Oh, hey, that's great. You know, no shame in the game. No shame in the game. It's a fun time. Um, if you've got a Bible, you can go loop two. Loop two, we'll get there in just a second. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get started. Father God, we thank you um, as, as we've sung, as um, Tim just led us in for the birth of your son, that 2,000 some odd years ago, Jesus, you came, put on flesh to save us. God, we have no hope of being made right with you apart from your son and what he's done for us. Help us to remember that both today and in the next week leading up to the holiday. We thank you for your grace and love for us. We pray it all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Do you ever feel like this season is just a lot more chaotic than you'd like it to be? Just the Christmas season, more chaotic than you'd like or even expect it to be. 
Kind of what I'm talking about is you've got all of these parties that you have to go through in like a really short period of time, work, friends, family. You've got to buy all these gifts. I'm not just talking like family, whoever. I'm talking like, oh, it's the $25 white elephant. Can you do that like seven times? And then it's like, it doesn't matter that it was $25. I did it seven times. The budget is broken. Um, you got to spend time with family potentially, which can stir up a lot of different emotions. You might have to travel all over the place. And then once that's done, it's New Year's time, which is fun, right? But there's almost this pressure that's like January 2nd, not January 1st, because you have it off, but January 2nd, I go back to work and I've really got to have it together. Like it's New Year, new me, I got to be on. It's just a lot of pressure. It's disorienting. Like we uh, expect and want this time to be awesome and peaceful, but many times it's just not. It's just very chaotic, I don't know if you feel that way, but I often do. And if that is you, I have good news for you this morning. The, the first Christmas was very chaotic. Even though we sing Silent Night, it was almost anything but. I'm not saying that song was a lie, but maybe you should think about it. I'm just kidding. It was a chaotic night. Uh, so what I want to do this morning is we're just going to walk through the first Christmas story, a story that we're all really familiar with in Luke 2. I'm not going to preach for that long. I'm just going to show you what really was going on and what that means for us. So like I said, Luke 2, you can open up to a Bible or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Luke 2 verse 1. It reads, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each according to his town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the, of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Kind of a weird start to the story. Like when you, when you think of Christmas, do you think of a census? Pro probably not. But oddly enough, this is the start of the story. And it's a means in which God facilitates the fulfillment of this prophecy that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. Now for the, the actual census, in some ways, it's very similar to today, except you can't just mail it in, right? You can't do it online like we did a couple years ago. You literally had to travel to your hometown, to that town where your family is from. So we get Joseph and Mary doing that. And at the time, Joseph's traveling with his betrothed, his fiance, Mary, who's pregnant, which would be a pretty big deal in this culture and time. It would be a scandal to be pregnant before you're actually wed. So here we have them traveling, most likely for, for multiple days, with Mary probably on a camel or a donkey of some sort going through the desert. This is what you would call a very bad baby moon. It's not a fun time. But, but, but seriously, it's not off to a good start. This pregnancy makes them both look really bad in the eyes of their society. Mary's most likely eight or so months pregnant. They're traveling, which is not the easiest thing to do for an expecting mother this far along in 2022, let alone 2,000 years ago in the desert. No car, no AC, no ice for your water. It is not a good time. And they're going to do a census for the Roman government who's currently occupying Israel and all the Jews hate them. It's off to a chaotic start. Now let's see if it actually gets any better for them. Verse six, 
And while they were there, the time came for her, Mary, to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn, firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So they get to Bethlehem, and this place is so jam-packed full of people that they get stuck in what we think is either a barn or some sort of guest house. And this is, would have been full of animals. This is where uh, people would have kept them, and it surely would have smelled and would have been really gross. And as they're settling in, the time for the baby to come happens. I can just imagine Joseph is scrambling. He probably was not prepared to deliver this baby, let alone by himself in a barn. But he does it. They're celebrating and they wrap the baby Jesus, they swaddle him, and they lay him in a manger, which we think is really cute, but really a manger is just an animal's feeding trough. It's not as cute of a scene as you would think. It's not ideal, but we're not done. Keep going again. Verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Pause there again. Shepherds were not people of status. They uh, often lived out in the land. They were seen as loners. They lived amongst the animals, which meant that they were most likely ceremonially unclean. So at the time, in order to worship God, in order to go to the temple to worship God, you had to keep a certain amount of purity and cleanliness in order to go by following certain rules. And one of those rules was that you couldn't come into contact with dead animals, which unfortunately for shepherds, that's part of the job description. They have to deal with animal carcasses all the time. Now in this society, it's a normal part of it to avoid anyone or anything that can defile you, that can corrupt your purity and cleanliness. And shepherds would fit right into that category. So with that, there's this social stigma attached to shepherds that at like minimum, they're like sketchy and I don't want to be around them. But at worst, it's like, they'll defile me. I can't be around them. And this is what happens to this group of shepherds. Verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, just so we're clear, that means the next thing that's about to happen in this story is shepherds are about to barge into this Airbnb animal-infested delivery room to meet baby Jesus. After all that Joseph and Mary have just been through, they're about to have random strangers burst in on them as, right after they have this baby. I mean, I mean, can you imagine a more chaotic way to have a baby? I mean, genuinely, Mary's pregnant out of wedlock. They've probably been shamed. They might have been embarrassed. They've had to travel multiple days in a desert climate on a camel to go do this census. And when they get to this town, there's so many people there, they don't have anywhere to stay. Mary gives birth in a barn. No doctors, no nurses, just Joseph and some goats. No medicine, no epidural. Then barges in these shepherds, complete strangers. 
Now, um, this whole chaos thing I'm talking about, it, it might seem a little bit weird since this is a Christmas thing and all. Why are, why are we doing this? But here's what I'm getting at. If you're Mary and Joseph, how easy is it to miss what God is up to? How easy is it to miss that God is sending his son into the world? Like they, they've been told literally by angels what is happening. They're, they are aware. Yet in the midst of all of this goodness, all of this promise, there's chaos. It is not ideal. How easy is it, would it be for them to miss it? And how easy is it for us to miss it too? Is the same not true for us? Like if you're, you're honest as a Christian, how many times have you woken up on December 26th and just been like, what just happened? <laughs> like, did I, did I think about Jesus at all? Like maybe I have some catching up to do. Like you had your advent calendar, maybe your like coffee thing, your beer thing, but did it actually lead you to any awareness of what the season is actually about in any way? I think in the midst of the chaos of our Christmases, it's so easy to miss that Jesus has come. To miss what God is actually up to. We get so distracted. So in the midst of the chaos that's happening in their life and in our lives, this is actually what's happening. Here's a verse. It's the most famous verse in the Bible, you could argue. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the core of Christmas, that Jesus has come into the world, that he's come to save us. The creator put on flesh. God the son, the second member of the Trinity who was there before even time existed. He creates all things by the power of his word. We can't even comprehend his magnitude. He creates me and you. He creates the cosmos, space, planets, stars, and moons, atoms, and elements, the rules of physics, ocean, and land, angels, and animals, all out of nothing. He becomes a baby, puts on flesh, it's the baby whose birth we just read about. He doesn't come into the world in glory, nor is he born into a rich and prominent family. He's born to poor parents in unideal circumstances in chaos to save us. As John 3.16 says, he comes so that we wouldn't perish, but have eternal life. Because the reality is this creator's creation rebelled against him. The story, according to Genesis 3, is that when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they sin and everything breaks, fractures. It's called the fall. And it's not just contained to them. It spreads to every human that has ever lived, including us. All have fallen. And every single thing that has gone wrong in the world, that will go wrong, that has gone wrong, that's gone wrong in your life, can be traced back to that moment to the fall. And now we have sinned and turned our backs against God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. What's deserved for this is death, a physical death and a spiritual death. And our only way that we could ever be made right with God is for us to be perfect. And the only way for the world to be made right is for sin and death to be conquered. And none of us can even begin to do those things. 
you can try to be perfect, and many of us do, and you will fail. Because sin isn't just the things that you do, it's who you are. We are sinful by nature in our hearts. You'll fail, and none of us can conquer sin and death. There's no leader, there's no government authority system or structure that can overturn the powers of sin and death. But the wonder of Christmas is that God steps in. That's what this is about. That God sees us in our hopelessness and he steps in. God comes into the world to save us. Jesus, God the Son, is born to this family and grows up and lives the life that we never could because of our sinful hearts. He lives a perfect life and he dies the death that we deserved, but he doesn't stay dead. He raises again, defeating Satan's sin and death. And now all of us who believe, as the Bible says, we get that perfect record. We, we get his death credited to us. It, it covers our sin and our shame. It cleanses us of it. And when he rises again, his resurrection secures a future hope for us that all of the wrongs in our lives that's been done to us, that we have done all of the wrong in the world will be undone. It'll be wiped away because of this baby. This baby that was born 2,000 something years ago. Now all those who believe get his perfect righteousness and the only hope that can make it through this world unstained. Now, if I, if I could take that a step further, we get to ask, why does God actually do this? Why does God do that for us? Well, according to what we just read, it says love. And if we could take that even further, what, what is love? What is love? Love, as shown by God, is giving. Love is generosity. That's what we see in the Christmas story. The shocking, immeasurable generosity of God. The shocking immeasurable generosity of God. Love is generosity. You see, we deserve nothing but wrath. We deserve nothing but God's wrath and abandonment, yet he gives immeasurable grace and mercy to us. It's the beauty of the story at great cost to himself. Jesus lowers himself, puts on flesh, lives perfectly, and dies to save us. The king becomes poor. The king of glory becomes weak and vulnerable for you to save you no cost to yourself. That's what generosity is. That's at the core of what Christmas and generosity is. So therefore, the point that the Bible is going to make over and over again is that we should do the same. Is that we're called to love in the same way that God has loved us. And that's exactly why we did this whole series at Advent, right? To give like God. Why'd we do that? It's because that's what it's all about. It's about what God has done for us. Christmas is about God's generosity to us and how we respond in light of what he's done for us. But we also wanted to do it because we know that this season's chaotic. That our temptation would be to forget what God's done for us, that we would get distracted, that we get caught up in all the consumption and all the cultural stuff and miss. This is what God has done for you. This is what God has done for us. So I'll end with this. I told you I'd be short. This Christmas, this is how we love. We give. We give our money. We give sacrificially because God gave us Jesus way more than we deserved and exactly what we need. You don't need anything else. 
other than this. That's the message of Christmas. God loved, so God gave. And because we love, we give too. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your great grace for us. Lord, we truly have no hope apart from you. Many of us, we, we try to be perfect. We try to earn your love and perform and be the best versions of ourselves we can be, but it is not enough. But Jesus, we thank you that you made a way for us. Jesus, that you emptied yourself, becoming a baby that would grow up to live perfectly, to cover us, to cleanse us. God, move us, move our hearts to believe in what you've done for us. Help us to rest this Christmas season for the next week remembering your generosity to us. Lord, whenever we would worry, whenever we would doubt, whenever we would feel like we're lacking and need more, help us to remember you, Lord, our gracious God, our giver. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. Jesus, pray on your name. Amen.